Father, we want to learn. I want you to teach us. I want our lives to come into divine order. Lord, we love the blessings that come of being part of what you're doing. But something in our heart can never be satisfied with the gifts. We want to give them. We want to know you in a deeper way. Lord, right now we're just aware as a church that you're just speaking to so many lives and so many hearts and so many of us. And you're wanting our lives to come into a greater measure of order and connection with you and your way of operating. I just ask that in this time of sharing today, just even as your word is spoken, Lord, something of your holiness and your authority will touch us. Something of your presence will come around our lives. That we will gain what is missing in the church all over our nation a respect and a reverence and a holy fear of God Lord we love when you heal us and touch us and provide for us we love when you come and minister and meet our needs when you're our saviour and our healer and our deliverer and our provider but Lord I'm asking that over these next weeks you'll bring into the church an awareness that you're more than all of that you're the Lord of hosts. You're the head of every principality and power. That every knee will bow and acknowledge and give account unto you. I'm asking, Lord, that you would build into our heart a healthy respect and reverence for you. Not in a religious way, but, Lord, just a revelation. Come, Holy Spirit. I want to read with you. I just want to read with you two verses we're going to start with today before we get into speaking. It's out of Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject to the higher delegated authorities. For there is no authority but of God. He's the source of it. The powers that be the authorities that God has set in the place they are ordered or set in place by God so whoever resists whoever resists the authority resists what God has ordered and those who resist receive for themselves his judgment for rulers or those in authority are not a terror to good works but to evil are you afraid of authority do which is good and you'll have the praise of the same for he is the minister of God to you for good but if you do that which is evil then you have every reason to be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain he's the minister of God to bring and to execute God's judgment upon all that do evil Father I'm asking that you'd bring divine order into homes and families I pray particularly today that you'd open our hearts to understanding of your government your order and the You'd cause a willingness to come in our hearts to respond to it. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Why don't you look at those verses now? Thank you, Julie. Let every soul be subject to higher powers. The Bible makes it very clear that every one of us has a choice how we will respond to authority. The Bible tells us that the powers that be, whatever that means, are ordained or set or ordered by God. Everyone loves to come to God like a great Santa Claus 
and to receive blessing from him. God wants us to actually understand that he has set things in order. In the spirit world, it operates by principle. The natural world operates by principles and laws. And God upholds what he has set in place. He's created an order in it all. And so the Bible tells us this. It says that the powers of be your authorities, that word there is a lawful authority or someone who has been delegated a legal right to exert power or influence. The Bible tells us that wherever we go in life, we will encounter authority. We encounter it in the physical realm and the natural laws. You cannot change those laws. You just accept that they're there, work with them. If you are driving a car fast, you slam on the brakes, everything unattached will fly forward. You can't stop that. You just understand it happens. It's called the law of inertia. It's a law. God set it in place. If you step off that uh, decking there, of the, of the, what will happen is you fall down. The law of gravity operates. So in the spirit world, there are laws as well. And the Bible tells us that God has set some things in order. He says... There are some authorities that God has established. Uh, an authority is someone with a lawful right to act because they're given responsibility. Authority and responsibility always go hand in hand. So when God gives someone responsibility, he says you've got the right to act. If it's not your responsibility, you've got no right to act. If that's your house, you've got the authority to change the color of it. If it's not your house, you've got to leave it alone. You can't go painting it. As simple as that. If that's your car, You've got the authority to run it the way you like. If that's your, not your car, you get your hands off it and leave it. It's not your right to do that. So wherever you have responsibility, authority is closely attached. Authority is the legal or lawful right to be able to act or exert power or to run something. And so the Bible tells us there are higher authorities. There are some that are different levels. They have a greater level of responsibility. You have greater, lesser responsibility, lesser authority, greater responsibility, greater authority, the Bible tells us where the source of that is, the source of it is God. And it tells us how we are to respond whenever we encounter this. You're going to encounter it everywhere you go in life. You go out in the roads, you'll encounter authority. You go into the uh, tax department, you'll encounter authority. You get your rates demand, you're encountering authority. It may not all be good in the way it's done or run, or we may disagree with how it operates. However, the Bible says we're going to encounter it, and it's there to bring order into society. We found, so we looked last week, there were four authority structures God has set up that affect us directly. One is the authority of government. Uh, government is given certain responsibilities, given certain authority. If it goes beyond its responsibilities, it becomes oppressive. Uh, we found also that uh, God has set up the church. The church is given certain responsibilities concerning the salvation of souls and exerting influence in the spirit dimension and touching the hearts and lives of people. And so God gives us authority to do that job. The church is the only body of people that has authority over demons. Church is the only body of people that can deal with spiritual forces and influences. The Bible tells us also that there's a set up the family. In the family, there is a divine order, which we're looking at, and this is a part of the series we're doing. And we found that in the family, there is a certain authority structure that God has set in place, all related to the responsibility. And then finally, there is the individual. You have responsibility for your life. You can choose to spend a life serving God, you can choose to spend a life serving the devil. You can choose to spend a life serving yourself. You have authority to do that. God has given you responsibility for your life. Therefore, you have authority for your life as well. You can choose what you do with it. You can misuse your life. You can use it well. 
You can invest your life so it serves God. You can invest your life so you cause great havoc to the cause of godliness in the earth. You choose. You have authority because you have responsibility. But everyone gives account one day. Everyone. No exceptions. Romans 14 tells us, every one of us, no one accepted, will one day give account of their life and what they did before the source of that authority. So if you've been given a lot of authority, you'll be required to give more account. If you have very less, then you'll have less to give account for. It just works quite simply and quite straightforward. Now the Bible tells us, let every soul turn to someone and say, that means you. Talk about you right now. Let every soul be subject to the higher power. And then it says, for whoever resists the authority, resists what God has set in place. Now you have two choices whenever you face an authority. You have a choice of resisting or a choice of subjecting yourself. It's as simple as that. And uh, so let's just look at the first one, resisting. Whoever resists, that word is an interesting word. In the, in the original language, it means like this. It means to put yourself in a position where you are opposed to or against that authority. So it says, if you put yourself in a position where you are opposed to or resisting or standing against what God has set in place, you are opposing God. Simple as that. Whoever resists the authority resists what God has set in place. Now, of course, some authorities misuse and abuse their authority. You have to confront them. Sometimes you have to withdraw from them for your own safety. There are situations, and the Bible says that. Jesus said, if they persecute you, flee to another city. So you don't have to stay. When you're being persecuted, you can get out of it. Not only that, sometimes we need to set a strong boundary where there's oppressive leadership in order that we can be saved or safe from being uh, uh, hurt or wounded in some kind of way. So we have to understand that God has got some safeguards around this area. But never, we're just trying to find what the principle is before we go look at all the exceptions and the misuses. And he says, uh, now, so those who resist the authority find themselves fighting against God. Now, why is it that people resist? Basically, it's one of usually three reasons. One, they're ignorant of what God has set in place. And because we're ignorant, we just fight against it. As soon as we use the word authority, submission, people have got great emotions rise up. Most people have very negative emotions. They have negative feelings because they've never understood God's proper use of authority, how it works for protection and blessing and good, and the experiences they've had with people with authority have been very negative and painful and hurtful. And so whenever the word authority comes up, then we have negative feelings about this. Whenever the word submission comes up, we have negative feelings about that. And we're going to try and take away some of those things right uh, during the session to help you understand that authority rightly used is for your blessing benefit and to build you up, never to destroy you. That's how God has designed it. God's power is used to uphold things for our benefit, not to hurt us. All good things come from God. The Bible says you meet a person in authority, they are God's minister on his behalf for your good, not for your evil. So when God has a thinking or is thinking about authority, he's thinking about how he can have order and release blessings upon people. And we'll see that rightfully used, any person who carries responsibility and has authority has ability to release blessing into that area he's responsible for if he knows what to do and how to do it. Men have a unique capacity to release the power and blessing of God into their marriages and family. They also have a unique ability to destroy and mess it up. So one reason that people resist God's authority or resist God's ordering 
is because of ignorance. If we don't know what God expects, then we will find ourselves uh, standing against it in some kind of way. Now, you, you can be a Christian, you can pray to God and still never experience the blessing of God in your life because you actually, inside yourself, are resisting and fighting against the order of God. See, for example, and I'm not going to go here too far, but I just want to just throw something out. When we think of giving, most people's concept immediately is one of resistance. They think someone's trying to take my money away. There it is, the church trying to get my money. But that's not the concept at all. You see, the Bible teaches that we sow and then we reap. So when you give or sow in faith, you are positioning yourself in harmony with God's purpose so the blessing of God can be released. When you give reluctantly or don't give at all, you're positioning yourself against God's way of blessing you. Simple as that. Then you can complain all you like. How come they're blessed and I'm not blessed? You've got to position yourself so you can flow with the release of God's power. Whenever a person positions themselves in harmony with God's uh, order, they find the power of God will uphold them and bring blessing and benefit far beyond what they could achieve themselves. That's why we want to get in the place we can get blessed. The second reason people resist the order of God is uh, just by neglect. A person just fails to do what they know to do. This is one of the most common problems that is faced in marriages and in families and throughout society. People neglect the responsibility. Today, the cry is what rights and privileges. Everyone wants their rights. Kitty's rights, women's rights, this rights, that's rights. But the Bible speaks about responsibilities before it speaks about rights and privileges. Rights and privileges go with responsibilities. When you are responsible, every parent knows this, this is the big beef they have with the teenagers, as you show more responsibility, you get more privilege. You know that they go together. If you are irresponsible, you lose your privileges. Isn't this how life works? Uh, even life itself teaches you that principle. Uh, for example, when a child is born, they have no responsibility for feeding themselves, for cleaning themselves, for anything. They have no privileges either. They just are there and someone's looking after them. As they grow, they learn to feed themselves. As they become more adult, adult means taking on more responsibility, they get more privileges. But if it's an adult, you break the law and act responsibility, you lose your privileges, you're in a room, you're locked up, you can't even say when the light goes off. You lose all your privileges. You see, privileges and responsibility go hand in hand. So one of the reasons that people uh, find themselves uh, resisting or positioning against God is by neglect. It's the most common one uh, in, the, in our society today. And the third is, basically, our thinking's wrong. We don't think the right way about God's order. We've got our own thoughts, thank you very much, and we'll follow with what we're used to. And uh, we find ourselves in our thinking resisting God. I want to just turn that around. And we want to begin to find ourselves positioning ourselves so we can come into blessing of God. It's so, so hard to make it all work without God's blessing. God wants to bring favor, blessing, help, grace, make it easy. So you put a little and get a heap out. Bible says, unless the Lord builds uh, the house, they labor in vain. You put a lot of sweat in, you don't get much results. How many know that's hard yak and when you put a lot of work in, get little results? It's true. So God wants us to flow in the principles of his blessing. And that comes, firstly, through relationship with Christ. When a person connects with Jesus Christ, receives Jesus Christ as their Savior, becomes connected and joined to God through a personal relationship with Christ, they are positioned where they can come to blessing. However, there is something else needed, and that is that we have to bring our life into harmony or cooperation or agreement with God so that his blessing can flow. In other words, you can say all you like, you're a Christian, but if you've positioned yourself against what God has set in place, you're pushing water uphill. It won't work. 
And so you can't just pray for God to bless you unless you're willing to bring your life into harmony with His way of doing things. Does that make sense? So we can choose to resist or stand against what God has set in place, or we can choose to submit or subject ourselves to that. Now let's look at that word there. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. That's every Christian. You notice now in that passage, it's not talking about men. It's talking about men and women. Both. Every person. Every one of us must learn to recognize the position that God has given to Jesus Christ and bring ourselves into harmony. It's your choice. You can either cooperate and receive the blessing of God. You can position yourself against it and you miss out. It's as simple as that. It's not as if God sort of is personally favoring this one, personally doesn't like this one. It's nothing to do with that. It's just both people love the Lord, but those that actually bring their life into harmony with them find the release of blessings. It's very simple. So what does it mean to subject? The word subject yourself means literally this. It means it's a similar kind of word uh, to the one before. The one was position yourself against. This one is position yourself beneath. So it says you do it yourself. You position yourself in a place where you recognize what authority God has put over you. Now, that's a choice every person must make. The first time you ever do that is when you recognize who Jesus Christ is, that He died on the cross, that He loves you, and that one day you'll give account to Him. When you subject yourself to the Word of God, then you become born again. The power of God is released to your life. Every time you subject to the Word and order of God, the power of God is released. So, the start point for our walk with God is recognizing who Jesus is and submitting to that. Now, the word subject means literally to this. It's, it's, it describes an order in a relationship. It's not, it does not mean that one is more superior to the other. It does not mean one is inferior to the other. It is actually, this is how you put it together. And it's put together like this in order that as a team you can accomplish a purpose. That's what it's about. This one subjects to the leadership and direction of the other one so together they can accomplish a great purpose. That's what subjecting yourself is about. It's about teamwork. It's about knowing where you fit. It's about accepting your placement in God's purpose and structure of things and out of being an equal person, you take your role and your role is you look to the one above you for leadership and direction. That's how it works. And so... Uh, when the Bible is talking about this, it has in mind teamwork. And I'm going to show you the illustration of this in a moment. Very powerful illustration. Now, to be subject, you can be uh, obedient without being subject. But you can never be subject without obedience being a part of it. Why? Because I can do what you want me to do. But inside, I'm saying, no way, no way. I'm going to go slow, reluctant resistance. Eh? But if I'm subject, I actually recognize the right that you have to give leadership direction and I cooperate with it. So to be subject means these kind of things. It means to have respect or to honor or to value the role that person has in my life. It means to listen to their directions in my life. It means to cooperate with them and the purpose they have, which is God's purpose for me. That's what it means. So when the Bible tells me to be subject to those over me, it means I should have an attitude of respect and honor because God has placed them in that role and I'm in a lesser role, a different role, less responsibility. Two, I am to be open to their direction and correction of my life because God gives them a bigger perspective than I have. And three, we work together to accomplish common things. 
That's how it works. That's God's order. Now, God's order absolutely works wonderfully. And I'm going to give you an example of it in a moment. I want you to have a look with me 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Now, these kinds of things create a lot of antagonism to talk this way. Because people either neglect authority, abuse authority, or try to reason it all away. Now, I want you just to have a look here in this scripture here in verse 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, how many people are described in there? There is God, Christ, the man, and the woman. How many of them are given a position or a rank as being head? How many out of the four? Three. Have you noted that? Three. So the Bible tells us God is the head of Christ. He's talking about a whole lot of relationships here and how God has ordered them so that it works. The one at the top is God the Father. And he says, he is the head of Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, is Jesus Christ any less a person or any less value than the Father? No. The Bible says these three are one. They're equal in value. They work and flow as a team. However, Jesus Christ submits himself to the Father's purpose. Now, he says the next thing is, he said, the man, the head, Christ is the head of the man. Now, the only way that Christ can be the head of the man is if the man acknowledges it and it begins to outwork. So a person who comes to Christ acknowledges Christ is my source of life. He is the one who gives direction. He is the one who has rightful authority over life. He submits to that. It becomes effective in his life. Finally, it says the woman is the head of the man. Now you notice this. So the man is the head of the woman. Got that right. Man is the head of the woman. I got it right. Caught a few people out. I saw some woman nodding. <laughs> I want you to see this is actually an order in relationships. Now, I want to show you how well it works because it describes who has the leadership role and who has the followership role. Now, I want to ask you this question before we look at this. And you see how, how, how wonderfully God has intended that this work and how it only works if we actually submit, uh, submit ourselves to the Lord and allow Spirit to, fulfill, to fill us. And how else, I want to show you how it works. Let me ask you this question, first of all. Who is the one man that was born into this world that has been honored by God above every other man or person ever born? Who is that person? Jesus Christ. You know that. The Bible says he has been exalted or lifted up and given a name above every other name, far above every principality and power, that the name of Jesus Christ, everyone shall bow. Everyone acknowledge him. Now, is that a high place or what? Is that about as high as you could get or what? How did he get there? How did he get there? You see, when he came out of heaven, he left it all behind. He left all his authority, all his power, all his glory, all his majesty, all his influence behind, and he left it and he was just born in like a helpless baby in the earth. Now, here's how headship and followership works as far as God has designed it. God's heart and God's desire and God's plan is that Jesus should be raised up and have a high place of honor and value and esteem and share in the rulership over all that God has created. That's his plan. That's his desire. And Jesus submitted to that. And the Bible says 
of Jesus, I and the Father are one. We're one. I'm one with his purpose. I never get out of disagreement with him. Second, he says, I got no independent agendas. Whatever the Father shows to me he wants me to do, I do it. There's, in Jesus' life on the earth, there was a total oneness of relationship and out of that, a total cooperation with the Father. He said, I don't ever start anything off my own bat. He said, just like in a marriage relationship, husband to wife, I am submitted to whatever the Father's purpose is. The Bible says, that's how God is ordered. Now, Jesus became obedient or submitted himself to the Father's plan, having a trust and a confidence that God the Father had the very best plan for him. And when he did, when he cooperated and laid his life down in service, loving service, God has lifted him up and given him a hard place. It was always part of the plan of God that Jesus would be elevated to the highest place. He just called on him to submit to his way of getting there. And you got, he had two choices of how to get there. The devil offered him the other choice. You fall down and worship me, I'll get you there right away. You can exalt yourself. You can compromise. You can just go your own way. You can either lift yourself up or let God lift you up. If let God lift you up, it'll take you to the cross. You know, all that, that's painful. It doesn't sound very nice, does it? Might be a bit of inconvenience and pain here, but if you just lift yourself up, that's the devil's talk. You lift yourself up. You get ahead for it. You go for it. You go for it. Look after number one. No one else will look after your life. That's all the devil's talk. God says, no, you cooperate with me. I'll lift you up. You can either lift yourself up or you let God lift you up. Jesus let God lift him up. You can't get a higher place than he is now. So what did Jesus have in his heart? Well, he had in his heart the church. He had in his heart a body of people. And what was in his heart was that he would lift the church up and the, to the, by the church to all the principalities and powers we may know in the wisdom of God. His heart was to lift the church up and bring it into a place where one day it would rule over all that he had. It would share in governing over all that he had. His plan for you and for me is that we be lifted up and exalted to a place of rulership, stewardship over everything he's created to the point where even the angels are subject to us. How about that? That's the problem. You either lift yourself up trying to get there, or you submit to God's way, and He lifts you up. And God's way always means that you recognize the headship of Jesus Christ, and you flow in harmony with His order in life, and you lay your life down to serve Him, and He lifts you up. That's how it works. Now, what did God have in mind for marriage? Well, He had a marriage, and what He had in mind in marriage, and the way it would work was this. Exactly the same as the relationship between the Father and the Son, exactly the relationship between Jesus and the church. In fact, the Bible says that the way Jesus loved the church, husbands should love their wives. In fact, it says marriage is like Jesus and the church. In what way? Well, this is the way. Jesus had in mind that the church, he would lift it up, elevate it up. He would love the church. He would serve. He would pour out his life. He would fulfill the will of the Father. He would accomplish all the purpose of the Father and lift the church right up beside him into a place of great honor, great esteem, great glory, great value. Church, in turn, submits to him and allows him to lift us up. Now, what he had in marriage in mind was this, that the husband, being the head of his wife, would love her and would invest his life in her sacrificially as Jesus did for the church, that he would have in mind, she would be lifted up, she would be esteemed, she would be valuable, she would come up right behind, beside him in a place of great honor, alongside him sharing all that he had, a partner in all that he had, brought up into that place because of his love and his giving of himself to her. Her part? Well, 
needs to recognize her role, that he is the leader, and cooperate and not run an independent lifestyle. To flow with him in accepting God's purpose. A help meet for him. That's how God's intended it. Of course, you can understand just when you look at how God intended it, how much we've messed it up. It's been badly messed up because people haven't understood. People have either, men have either neglected their leadership or abused it. But Christ is the model and example. You follow him, you see how to lead. Men are called to lead. Look what the Bible tells us here. Man is the head of the woman. Makes it very, very clear. And why is the man the head of the woman? Well, God created it to be that way. It's an order. Is he more important? No, he's not more important. Is he more gifted? No, he's probably less gifted in some areas. But in the area of being the head or the leader of the home, God has uniquely called him to be that. Did you realize that? That when a father comes down the aisle with his daughter, that it symbolizes that uh, he is the covering, the authority, the protector of her. And that as he comes up, he hands her over. Now he hands her or gives her hand. Who gives this woman a marriage? I give her hand in marriage. What am I doing? What is the father doing? The father is giving his authority, his role, his positioning that God gave him over his daughter, over to another man. And what does that other man do? He takes the hand in marriage. Why is he taking the hand in marriage? He's assuming responsibility to be the leader, God's head, over a completely new unit. So God says, you've got to leave your home and you cleave to your wife and you love her and you lead her as Christ loved and has given leadership to the church. That's God's plan. And that's the symbolism that's involved in the father coming down the aisle uh, with his uh, daughter, uh, symbolizing that she's still under his covering, still under his uh, protection, still under his headship and authority. And his handing over the daughter indicates he approves of that man. He gives this relationship his blessing and now releases his daughter to come in under the headship of some other person. Believe me, you need to choose the right one if you're going to submit to someone else's leadership. It's got nothing to do with feeling. People mistake the feeling of being bonded together. God has put a law in place that when two people open their hearts and share intimately with one another or sexually with one another, their hearts bond. But the feeling of bonding has got nothing to do with that's the right one. People make that mistake. Young people make that mistake over and over and over and over again. Friend, young, young woman, if you are going to marry some man, hold yourself back and make him earn the right to lead you. And if he won't earn the right to lead you by loving you and looking after you and honoring you before you get to marry him, it certainly won't do it afterwards. Absolutely certain. Don't cheapen yourself. Don't sell yourself cheap because you want to feel good or because there's a vacancy or a lack in your life because of something in the home. Never do that. Find healing and wholeness in Christ so you can stand up and be a whole person and let that man prove he's got the gumption in him to be a leader. Because I tell you something, you will regret it all the rest of your life. You'll be working hard trying to change him to be something you hope he would be and end up even more frustrated and hurt. You can't do that. So you wait. If the guy hasn't proven he's got it before you get married, don't marry him. You know one of the people that would be the key person to ask what he thinks? That would be your dad. If he doesn't like the guy, there's something wrong. You better listen. Because that's the person God has appointed as head over you to give protection to you, spiritual discernment over the whole deal. And if he's very, very unhappy with this, there's probably very good reasons. And you've got good reason to have a double think about what you're doing. 
It's such a mockery of this whole thing where a man brings his daughter down. She's been living out of home and living in relationship with someone else. And, and to go through this whole, it's a hypocrisy. This is not what marriage is about at all. It's about God's plan to bring people into committed covenant relationship and into divine order where the husband is the head and he loves her and he leads her. If a man can't lead you morally before you're married, I believe me, he won't lead you morally after you're married either. Unless he comes to a great heart change. Oh, getting all quiet now. This is true. This is how it is. See, because we don't understand God's way in this matter. Man, if you're a man here, you don't know how to love a woman and lead properly, then you're just failing as a man. You want to be a good man? You want to stand up and be proud of who you are and others proud of who you are? Then be Christ-like man. Submit to Christ. Begin to get a holy, clean life. Instead of using women, learn how to love them and to lead them well. And you will be a great candidate to be a husband. Oh, we all got so quiet. <laughs> We're biting into the bone now, aren't we? Okay then, now, let's get to it here. It says, I would have you know, the head of every man is Christ. Every man needs to get a relationship going with God. If you're a man here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to give you a chance at the end of this meeting to do it. It'd be the best thing you could do to get your luck. He's the greatest lover. He can change a hard heart. He can melt your heart. He can heal your heart. And not only that, he's the only one that can help you do a good job on what you're called to do. Now, this is what the Bible says. It says the man is the head of the woman. Now, I want you to sh share with you three problems that come related to this. No man can be an effective leader until he settles these issues in his heart. Man, you'll never lead your home unless you get this really settled in your heart. Number one, God has designed you to be the leader. Two, he has appointed you to be the leader. So you better agree with him. That's his order. If you don't accept, he made you up. Friend, a, a, a man has been created by God. He has certain things in his makeup that actually equip him to be the leader in the home. He has things in his makeup that are different to the woman that enable him to carry the weight. That's why so often, you know, she might be having some trouble with the kids. He comes up one word from dad. Well, Sort of there's an authority. God has given something if the man knows, understands, if you're a man, I have been ordained or appointed by God to be the leader of the home. Not only that, he's got something in me to enable me to do it. Even if I haven't realized it yet, it's in there. I can do it. I can do it. I can do this job. God would never ask me to do something unless he enabled me to do it. Therefore, something in my makeup will embrace this job. And when I've embraced it, I'll feel I'm being fulfilled as a man. It's true. Any man who actually neglects his responsibility as the leader of the home feels bad about himself. You get a man who fails to lead his home, he'll always feel have low esteem problems. And all the prayer ministry in the world will never fix it up. You've got to stand up on your feet. I'm a man. I'm called to lead. Take the responsibility into your heart. Then begin to find out ways to love and to serve. Learn how to do it. So, God's power is released only when you assume the responsibility. So if, you, if you're going to make a mark in the home, you actually have to own the responsibility. Who does the buck stop with for the spiritual life in the home? Come on now. Don't think because your wife is such a great prayer and spends hours in prayers that it stops with her. It stops with you. It stops with you. You are responsible for the home. You're responsible for the marriage. You have to understand that 
no matter what anyone tells you or anyone says, when you get to heaven, if you've been a married man, he will ask you not only about your personal life, he'll ask you what you did about your marriage and family. You will give account. So if I assume responsibility, it's at the point of assuming responsibility, power begins to flow. Until you own the responsibility, until you carry a sense. Most men go out and do their thing, they think their wife will run all the home. Friend, that is wrong. You've actually got to own responsibility for the thing. Once you've taken on that, you'll find that in your heart the power of God will start to arise. You'll feel a surge. Something begins to change inside you when you take ownership of responsibility. Now, God will hold every man to account, believe me. When, uh, who does God held to blame for the entrance of sin into the world? It wasn't Eve. It was the man. Why did God hold Adam responsible? Because when you read in Genesis chapter 3 that the serpent gave the fruit to Eve, Adam being with her. What on earth was he doing letting the devil talk to his wife? What on earth was he doing saying nothing while the devil proposes all this great scheme for her to get ahead? Self-promotion scheme. He was doing what a lot of men do. Nothing. It's true. He was silent. When he should have spoken up, he was silent. When he should have protected, he was silent. When he should have actually confronted the devil, he was silent. The silence of Adam caused sin to enter the world. And the silence of men today causes sin to enter marriages and families and destroy them. Men must stand up on the inside. There's no government can heal our nation. Only God can do it as men arise and take their rightful place. We have to understand that. It's crucial. So God held Adam responsible for the entrance of sin into the world. Now, one of the reasons that we see over and all that God talks about male-female roles is for this reason, it's the most common thing in the world for men to just avoid their responsibilities for leadership in the home. And two, it produces tremendous harm and damage in a home when a man is not the spiritual and proper leader of his home. It produces weights on the wife. It produces uh, problems with the children. All kinds of things come into the home. The woman gets subject to spiritual attack that the husband is capable of dealing with but is refusing to. I want to show men how to deal with that. A man can stand in the place of prayer and protect his wife and children from immense amounts of demonic attack. But he's got to own responsibility and position himself in prayer in the role God gave him. When he does, literally a shelter comes over the family. And I believe that the reason we've got so many breakdowns in families are men who have lost understanding of what their role is and what they're called to do and to be in their family. And because they've lost understanding of it. I, mean, I tell you how, this, how long this has been, about 30 years of reaping what's been coming into our education system. I can remember when I went to teacher's college, they ruined me for teaching for quite some time until I got godly principles into my life because educational philosophers had taken humanism and were pouring it into the teacher's college and its education institute through a guy by the name of Jury. And uh, all of this teaching came in and it literally removed absolutes and replaced them with relatives until there were no standards left. Today, basically the common thinking, I won't go down this line too far, if it feels right, then it's true. There's no connection between truth, reality, and what people feel anymore. They don't feel like it. They feel bad about it. Then there must be something wrong with it. 
So, God must, men must take responsibility to lead. Let me tell you what will happen. Two things will happen when a man stands up to lead. When a man actually understands God has called him to be a leader and stands up and is willing to embrace the responsibility, there'll be two things I guarantee will happen. One, the power of God will start to flow to his life to help him. But it starts with ownership of responsibility. And that means if you've failed, you've got to own the failures as well. And if your marriage and family are in a mess, you better own that as well. Because my experience has been that whenever a business goes wrong, you don't look for the clerk in the front desk. You go to the boss. Say, what's gone wrong? You're responsible. That's how it works. Something wrong in the family? Men? They have a good reason why you're not doing what you need to be doing. I don't think God will listen to too many excuses, though. It's time for men to stand up and take that ownership and responsibility learn how to lead with love their families. Now, you can't just suddenly stand up and start to go bossing everyone around. That'd be the wrong thing to do. That'll create more problems. You can't swing from one side doing nothing to the other side doing a lot. You've actually got to, first of all, take a sense of ownership and come to a place of repentance where you've neglected or failed or let the family down. To be the head of the family means to take responsibility for the marriage and the family. You take responsibility. You take responsibility. And if you fail to take responsibility, you fail to fulfill God's role and there's a problem in your home because of it. Now you can have all the excuses under the sun, but God will not listen to any of them. Adam, how are you doing this? Oh, don't look at me, it's my wife. God didn't listen to any of that. The Bible records by one man sin into the world. When we look at your family, it'll be recorded by you, the man, sin into the family. Won't be able to blame your wife. Won't be able to blame the kids. You're responsible because you're in charge. Now, it's step start. We start to take ownership and responsibility. First thing that happens, the power of God comes to us. Immediately a man takes responsibility. The power of God will come to his help. What to do? To give him ideas. It's God working in you to, to will and to do what he wants. He'll give you ideas. He'll give you insight. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you perspective. He'll give you ideas. He'll give you ability to make decisions in consultation with your wife. Add that bit in there just in case you think it's all a one-man thing. We'll talk about the partnership later on. The second thing that will happen is you'll find intense pressure and resistance come from the spirit world. Everything, every devil will try and stop you taking your place in God's order. Because you can say Jesus is Lord over your family till the cows come home. The parrot could say it and it'd have about as much effect. At the end of the day, Jesus becomes Lord of your family when you take your position as head of the woman. That's when the Lordship of Jesus becomes established. When you submit to Christ and you take your rightful place of assuming responsibility, once you embrace responsibility in your heart and you begin to pray, you begin to walk out those responsibilities, God's power comes into the whole deal. The whole deal. You can change people without even having to do too much once the power of God is flowing on your behalf. But to do that, you've got to stand up. Every devil in hell will stop men standing up. Every demon of witchcraft, as we'll see a little bit later, will come and try and stop a man standing up and praying regularly, consistently for his wife and children, standing up and taking responsibility for her. The devils will come. They'll try and push on you to make you feel inadequate. As though you've got no ideas, you're useless, you're hopeless. He'll push everything against you. But friend, if a man will stand up and hold the position God has given it, you've got to understand this, that spiritual warfare is about getting you out of two places. One, out of your relationship with Christ, 
and two, out of the position God called you to be. The battle is to just stand up and believe what God says and to embrace that call, that responsibility to give leadership to your home. Not to lord it over them, but to lead them as Christ led. He loved. You know, he washed the disciples' feet. Perhaps some of the men be a good idea if you went home not to wash your wife's feet. Be a change of attitude of sitting there waiting for her to come around and wait on you. Well, a lot of men come home, they expect their wife to wait on them. But God says, you're the leader, you're the servant leader. So you not only give direction, you learn to serve. You pick up some of the responsibilities. You help around the place. You get involved. You don't just, well, I've done my bit out there, I come home, you do it all here. That's an ungodly thing. comes out of culture. It's got nothing to do with the Bible. I can wash my disciples' feet, which is the lowest job. You can do a few low jobs around the place too. We'll talk a bit about how to put this into practice. All the women are going, men are sitting down in the head. You know something? Let me just finish off. Just one word to one before we get on to the other side of the coin. We get the flip side of the coin in another session, of course. Even though a man embraces the responsibility in his heart, the fulfillment of his leadership requires his wife accept him in that role and release what she's been carrying to him. Now you can either release it willfully or you can go with a fight. I can remember the day my wife released the finances to me. She came in with a checkbook, threw it down on my desk and said, there, you do it. And I said, yes, I will. And I did it ever since. It was as simple as that. But you understand this? That in order to give leadership, you have to assume responsibility. But the person who's following, that's why God says, husbands, you be the kind of leader a wife would easily submit to. Wives, be in
understand this? That in order to give leadership, you have to assume responsibility. But the person who's following, that's why God says, husbands, you be the kind of leader a wife would easily submit to. Wives, be in subjection to your husband. And don't be fearful of doing this because God will help you. You don't have to change him. You don't have to manipulate. You don't have to do this and that. If you will just take your right place and do what God says to do, his power will come on their heart and move them. Why don't we just close our eyes right now? The first step is to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. I wonder, is there any person here who's never actually ever admitted that Christ died on the cross for your sins? Your sins have cut you off from God. Jesus died for your sins. Your sins will leave you in eternity without God, in eternity without hope. But friend, Jesus died for your sins. If any man, any woman, any person would acknowledge what Jesus Christ has done and who he is and open their life to receive him and make him welcome, then that person be changed. Are you here today and you want to become a Christian? Why don't you raise your hand right now? Say, I want to become a Christian. There's an emptiness in my life. There's something lacking. There's a God dimension lacking. I want to receive Christ today. Why don't you raise your hands now and say, that's me. I want to become a Christian. I want to receive Christ. Is there any person here today? It's at that point. You say, I want Christ to be the head of my life. I want Christ to be the head of my life. Just while our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, please just one minute. Just, just don't be disturbed right now. I wonder how many of you, as men today, have felt God speak into your heart and say, Son, you have not represented my headship well by your life, by your example, by your love, by your words. You've been absorbed in yourself. And like so many of the men of this nation, passive, resistant, laid back. And the role of headship in the home is no longer occupied by you. But your wife has had to carry the responsibility. Responsibility for the children, for the discipline, the order, for the prayer, the spiritual direction. You are a rebel against God. You are resistant of God's order. Whether it's because you didn't know it, because you just failed to do it, whatever it is. At the end of the day, none of those things will count. Demon powers have been able to access your marriage and family because you were absent without leave. You were AWOL. Today, God's speaking to men, saying, man, you need to stand up and take your right place. Your right place in the family, your right place in the marriage, your right place in the church, your right place in the community. The place God gave you, a place of headship, a place of leadership. If God's speaking to you today and you're saying, Lord, I have neglected my responsibilities, Today, my first step is to own my failure, own my neglect and self-centeredness, and to actually turn to you and say, Lord, I want to carry responsibility for my family, for my marriage. There are men here today that would say, that's me. I want you to stand where you are. I want you to come to the front. I want you just to stand where you are. Say, God is speaking to me today. I need to stand up on the inside and begin to shoulder responsibility. Man, on. Just stand. Just stand where you are. May God's Spirit come on. Bring the change that you need. 
My experience is faith. So many marriages. It's the woman who carries the weight. Man, God bless this man standing. Father, <clears throat> just thank you for these men now. These other men need to stand too. Other men need to take that responsibility. To protect, to love, to lead, to give direction, to set standards, to bring spiritual life. God bless. Father, I thank you for these men that have acknowledged their need. Acknowledge their need of you, Lord, today. I'm asking for the power of your spirit to come on them, to raise them as godly men, that, Lord, you will dispossess the demon powers that have hindered them and held them down, and that they will arise with great strength and vigor in their families. Help them to recognize and put right what was wrong. Help them to love their wives and children. Humble themselves that they might, Lord, be lifted up by you. I just wonder right now, how many others in the church today and as I've been speaking you're aware that your heart has been hurt and broken because in your family men have failed men have failed to lead or men have been abusive in their leadership and it's left a deep wound inside your life and you say God I need you to help me to forgive and release these things so I can take my right place why don't you just stand right now just do it right now or just be women, it'll also be men. Men that have been abandoned by their dads, and men that have been abused by their dads, women that have been abandoned, women that have been abused. Be many. One of the most difficult things for a man to lead is when he's been under an abusive leader himself. Controlling, self-centered man, or a passive, self-centered, self-absorbed man who won't take responsibility. What a tragedy, what a tremendous hurt and heartache in the family. Father, I'm asking for each of these ones today for the anointing and the power and the love of your spirit to come around them, to heal and restore and to raise them up. Father, I ask that the grace of God to forgive would come around their life, that they could move past the hurts and into a place of accepting, Lord, their wrong. Just while our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, those of you standing, just keep your eyes closed. I'd like others in the church to go to the ones who are standing. I'd like you just to pray for them, encourage them, bless them. Put your arm around them. Some of them are in tremendous pain and hurt. Let's just believe for God to come and help them. Tremendous pain when fathers do not do what they're supposed to do. Come on, there's some other men. Come to the ones who are standing. Just put your arms around them. Come on over here someone down there. Just go and put your arms around them. Come on, man. Come on, man. Don't just sit around. You don't have to be some great spiritual giant to go stand with another man. Just come put your arm around them. So I'm with you, brother. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, we break the power of abusive words. We break the power of critical words that found fault we break the power of violence and hatred. We break the power of abandonment. We break the hold of those things that have locked up the hearts of these men and women. Father, we release your love. We release your anointing. Father, I'm praying your spirit would touch and impact every man, every woman. Would stand up in your role.
straight afterwards. We want to stay on for a cup of tea. Feel free to do that.